we, we move out of, we have moved out of our previous series, which is Dangerous Faith, and we are launching a mini, I say mini because it's two-week, two-week series called The Return, The Return. And uh, it's based on a very famous parable that I know the majority of you will know. In fact, I was speaking to someone during the week. I was with the, uh, the care center team on Wednesday, and I was, someone was talking about this Sunday, and I mentioned this parable, and they said, oh, this is my, that's my most favorite parable. Um, and uh, interestingly enough as well, someone showed me, who, who was knowing what I was going to preach on this Sunday, they showed me someone that had posted um, something on Facebook on, I want to say, Wednesday or Thursday of this parable. Now, that lady is part of our prophetic company, um, our prophetic company under Sally Davison, the team, which is part of the Rise Ministry. And uh, so when a, when a prophet puts what you're going to speak on on Sunday, I take that as a good sign. Um, and so that's very encouraging. But it's, it's a parable that I think is front and center with many in this season. And indeed, we sang about it earlier. Any guesses what it might be, given this and given what we've just been singing earlier? There you go, the prodigal son. It is indeed, is it not, a favorite of many? And uh, over the next two weeks, Heather and I thought it would be great, Heather's speaking next week on this, to unpack this story for us. And I think what's interesting about this story is we typically focus on the younger son only, don't we? But what about the older son? There's lots that we can learn there as well. So next week, Heather's going to be speaking on the elder son. And this week, I'm going to be speaking on the younger son. Now, the thing with familiar parables is there's a bit of a danger sometimes because, oh, I know that parable. And we kind of default to, to a kind of position of, well, I know it all about it. It's about the Father's love. And of course, that is the major theme, of, is it not? But the problem with familiarity sometimes is that you don't pause and say, what's the new that I can learn from this? So I'm going to attempt this morning to uh, unveil for, for us some new truths or some truths that maybe you hadn't looked on before to help us understand some truths. And, and this is, you might be asking the question, you know, maybe you're new to church or maybe new to Christianity, and the question is, what, what is the Bible? How is this applicable over 2,000 years later? Well, the reason it's applicable is truth doesn't change. I know culture would like to tell us that truth is subjective and it's whatever you want it to be, but actually truth doesn't change. And so the truths that we're going to uncover in this parable apply to us 2,000 years later, specifically truths around who we are and who God is. And that's what we're going to learn about uh, this morning. So with that, why don't we turn together to this parable, which you'll find in Luke. It'll be on the screen. And if you're uh, online, uh, it will be on your screen as well. And it's found in chapter 15, verses 11, 11 onwards. We're going to read it up to 24. And next week, Heather will continue the parable as we look at the elder son. Um, so why don't we read that together? Let me read this. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Have my water there, please, Trevor. Thank you. It's just on the side there. Let's just pray before I continue. Lord, I want to thank you for the truths that are in this parable. I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear it. Lord, remove any distractions that we may have, Lord, and speak to us, I pray, in your precious name. Amen. Okay, so what I want to look at in the short time that we have together, and this might be a little bit ambitious, but hey, we'll give it a go, is look at the sun and look at five Five truths that I think can also apply to us. Five things that I want to unpack that are relevant to us today in the 21st century here in St. Albans, or indeed wherever you are around the world. By the way, can I just say we have many people that subscribe and, you know, I've always wanted to do this and I did it a few weeks ago, but why don't you hit that subscribe button and hit the bell notification so where you can get notifications when we have new content. There you go. Thank you very much. But yeah, do do that. Oh, thank you very much. And if you're in the room and you have your mobiles out, because I know many do, do it now. Go to our YouTube channel. Fantastic new content is delivered every week. Uh, new worship moments are put on there and some of the talks as well. So why don't you go ahead and do that? But there's five things I want to look at. And the first thing is number one. It is a question of freedom. You see, for us, this parable unpacks and puts front and center the question of freedom. I think we can make the case that in leaving the father's house, the son was seeking some sort of, quote, freedom. It doesn't say that explicitly in the text, but I think you'll agree that we can come to that conclusion. And he wanted to live outside, a life outside of the father's house, didn't he? A, live, a life outside of the supposed confines that he may have seen in the father's house. And I find it very interesting in this story because what happens when he makes that choice and he says he's going? Does the father try and stop him? If it was me, I'd be like, whoa, hold the phone, son. And they didn't have phones in those days. It's just a phrase I use way too often. But Don't go. Listen, you need to understand X, Y, and Z. But no, he lets him go, doesn't he? And what does this speak to, friends? It speaks to this, the free will that we have the free will that God has given each one of us. But you see, as I was just thinking through this parable and that the importance of free will, and we haven't got time to unpack it in its fullness, 
I think this is where the younger son got unstuck. And I think this is where we often get unstuck as well. Why? Because we think the ability to exercise our free will will always lead to freedom. Think about that. Let me say that again. We think that the ability for us to exercise our free will will always lead to freedom. We think that living our life outside of the prescribed boundaries that God says is true will lead to freedom. Are you with me? But that isn't true. Free will and freedom are different things. I found this really fantastic definition of freedom, and it says this, freedom is to possess the power and resources to fulfill one's purpose unhindered. Quite a lot, kind of like that. Freedom is to fulfill one's purposes unhindered. But you see, freedom and free will are different. You see, the younger son thought that he, if he exercised his free will to live outside of the boundaries of the father's house, that he would live a life of freedom. You see where I'm going with this? He thought that if he did what he wanted to do outside of the prescription of the prescribed boundaries of his father's house, that he would be free. But what he discovered was that that is not true. True freedom comes when we operate within the boundaries that God sets for us. And this, I think, speaks to the cultural moment that we are in now. But it speaks to the same lie of old, doesn't it? You can be like God. You can know what is true and right and good. You can make that decision. You're free. I want to say it again. True freedom can only be found in living out the life that God has ordained for us. If you live and you go outside the manufacturer's recommended use, then you will experience some faults and breakages. I'm a petrol car, but I want diesel. Sure, your free will to choose that, go ahead. Why have I broken down two miles down the road? Because the manufacturer said you should have petrol. But I don't want petrol, I want diesel. Okay. <clears throat> of course, this, this analogy only makes sense if you agree with two statements. Number one, that God is our creator. And number two, that what he says in his word is true. Because if you don't believe those two things, then what I've just said, you'll go right over your head. So I don't agree with that. Man, what is a pastor? What place does a pastor have talking about culture? Honestly. I don't know, the same place that the Apostle Paul did when he was on Mars Hill and said, look at all these gods you're worshipping. Then you realize there's one true God. You even got a God that says to an unknown God. Listen, let's not decompartmentalize, I can't say that word, our, our faith in God and the world because you can't do that. God created this world. Are you still with me? Are you okay? Whew. It's good stuff though, right? You know, research has shown, I've been looking at this recently, that people who are stripped of any guardrails or boundaries, any defined right and wrong, and who live a hedonistic lifestyle, over time, lack any meaning of self and leads to depression. Did you know that? This is psychologists saying this. But free will, you see, free will doesn't always look, lead to freedom. But we think it does. 
And that is the, the, the narrative of culture, which is you can be free because you can define what you want to do, who you want to be, when you want to do it. You don't need to be in a family unit. You don't need to honor leaders. You don't need to. You read the Bible, and actually it talks about how those nested hierarchies and boundaries are important. God talks about the first commandment, you will have no other God before me, number one. Well, you mean I can't be my own God and decide? No. Okay. It talks about the context of marriage and the roles between husbands and wives. It says, children, honor your parents so that all may go well with you. We don't like talking about this kind of stuff, do we? But God knows. God knew because he created us in that way. And I think at the heart, and one of the, one of the themes of the, the prodigal son parable is that the son came to the conclusion that he would find freedom outside, and what he found was the opposite. You know, uh, just as I move, before I move on to the next part, um, there's an interesting um, scripture, verse uh, in Galatians 5.17 that says this, uh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. What does that mean? It means that those things that are, that are contrary to God's will for us and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. There seems to be this battle. And Paul says it this way, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Who knows? We're like, I don't want to do that stuff, but there's something in me that wants me to do that stuff because why sin is attractive. There is this battle. I'm obviously the only one who feels it. They're in a But it is true. The apostle Paul is right when he says this. But, but I'm free. I can do what I want to do. Okay, fine, but... Don't go down that path because you're going to be outside of the manufacturer's prescribed usage conditions of the product that he's built. Stop, Mark. Move on. Number two. I can see you're having fun. Presence versus presence. No, it's not a spelling error. Presence versus presence. He wanted the presence of the Father without the presence of the Father. And I, I think this is interesting, actually, because this is not someone who is unaware of his inheritance in Christ Jesus, to use uh, the Romans 8 language about being a co-heir. He wasn't unaware that he was a son. So we're not talking about uh, someone that's not saying, I love God and I worship God. I mean, this, can apply to, this applies to me. And I find that I often move into a model of relationship which goes a little bit like this. I start, stop spending time in his presence and seeking him and worshiping him. And then I get to this model of relationship which revolves more around my to-do list and my task list and my I need this list. I'm no different than the younger son. We look at the prodigal son and go, thank goodness I'm not like the prodigal son because I haven't left to another foreign country yet. Or I haven't eaten pig. You know, I'm dramatizing it to make the point that when we look at this parable, because of the familiarity, we don't deep dive deep enough to see that actually it's talking about me. I had a fun week this week going through this, honestly. On my knees, most of it. And I get into this place. I'm like, I know I'm your son. We can declare it and like... Look at the riches we have in Christ Jesus. Can I have it now, please? And, and the father's saying, what about me? Why? What? <laughs> he said, give me what I'm owed, but you I don't need. Lord, would you just forgive me where I do that? Because I'm, I'm like the prodigal son in that regard. Number three, we are seriously running out of time. 
But it's okay. It's okay. It's good. I can accelerate near the end. It's fine. Number three, nothing can compare. Nothing can compare. You know, verse 14, what does it say? A famine famine arose in the land. He ran out of his money, essentially. The blessings exist for a while, but the giver is eternal, friends. Let me say that again. The blessings exist for a while, but the giver is eternal. You see, I think this is, I was thinking about this this week and thinking about trees. Now, if you uproot a tree, a fruit tree or any other tree, and you put it outside of the soil for a period of time, it will look like it's still healthy, right? It's not like you lift it out, and all of a sudden the, the fruit goes, boom. The tree's still okay. You see, I told you it didn't need soil. It's fine. It's got what it needs. It can survive on its own. You see where I'm going with this? I was thinking I'm like that. I mean, what about God when he said to Adam and Eve, listen, if you, put, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And they're like, oh, I'm still alive. It takes a while. There's spiritual death that occurred. But let's not go down that path. All of that to say, the lie of the blessing is I'm with God right now and everything's okay. I've done this in my life. It's like, oh, man, life is great. And I stop praying slightly, slightly, slightly. And it's not like I wake up the next day and, every, and my world's collapsed. My world is still amazing. And I'm like, well, that, that worked fine. I didn't need to pray again. But what happens is slowly, slowly, we find that we go off course. A few days ago, I had the misfortune of reversing over a little bit of a boulder. A bit disappointing. Everything was all right. But as I was starting to drive, my steering wheel was like this to go straight. Anyone had that before? I'm still driving like that at the moment. It's kind of fun in some ways. But I, I popped into Quick Fit yesterday to see if they had a slot for me. They don't, so I'm going to go tomorrow. But you don't need to know that. Um, and I said, it's causing me problems. He goes, probably it was just out by a fraction. And yet, I'm having told the steering wheel like this. You can start by being out of God's presence for just a little bit. Yeah, it's fine. But before you know it, you've done that. Nothing can compare. Fulfillment and joy can only come with relationship with him. The blessings you'll enjoy for a moment. Just read Ecclesiastes this week. And you'll see the seasons that we, there's a time for joy, a time for weeping, a time for sowing, a time for reaping. That rhymed, didn't it? Read Ecclesiastes. Right, I'm going to better move on because we've got a few more to go. Number four, mercy whispers. Mercy whispers. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, when he realized that he was eating, he wanted pig's will. And you know, for Jews, this would have been a major offense because of the unclean nature of pigs. Like, this is, and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. What on earth have I done? Listen, we see the mercy of God through consequences. And there are moments, friends, and I've seen it in my own life, when the Holy Spirit, in those moments of our metaphorical pig's wheel, will say, We have a choice in that moment, guys. If you want to sear your conscience, and it happens, if you want to harden your heart, then ignore it. And ignore it again. And ignore it again. And slowly, slowly, you stop hearing that whisper. 
how do I know this? Because I've seen it in my own life. And then it takes a big, massive bang for my eyes to be open and go, what am I doing? Listen, God's mercy will always be whispering to you. The question we've got is, are we going to listen to that? Are we going to listen to that small, quiet voice in those moments? We're going to say, it's fine. I can't deal with this issue right now. I'll ignore it. And God's like, okay. You know, let me just give you some verses to encourage you about God's mercy. Lamentations 3, 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, his mercies never come to an end. Never come to an end. You'll never get to a point where you've been in the pig's field the 15th time and God says, right, that's it, no more mercy. Never, never. I don't care if you're 99 and you're, you've lived the 99 years without saying yes to God and this is it. His mercy never runs out. What about Psalm 139, verse 7 to 12? Listen to this. Where the psalmist has such an awareness that here's, here's the thing, you see. We can, feel, we can move outside of God's best for us and we feel like, well, God's left me. He's not still here. He's not calling me home. Really? Listen to this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. You are not too far from God for his whisper to say, return. You are not too far for him. It's never too late. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. It's never too late. Never too late. Don't let the enemy stop you from returning with condemnation and guilt, saying, well, I've done it too many times, and he's forgiven me already. He's not going to forgive me again. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Right. Let's move on. Are we, are we good? What number are we up to? Well done. God stars. The return, I've called this one. You see, it's all, it's, this is the bit. This is, there is just so much truth in this one little section of verse. Verse 20, the first part says this. And he arose and came to his father. I love that. What is that? That's repentance. You know, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. I'm sure some of you have heard that word before. And it means a literal turning around. You see, repentance isn't being sorry for yourself. It's not giving lip service. It's a decision to arise and turn towards the Father and turn to him away from that which is wrong. That's what repentance means. It's about a direction of travel. It isn't just a feeling repentance. It's, it's, it isn't regret, although regret is partly used to get us to that point of making a decision. It is a decision. Where in your life do you need to return to God? Where in your life is the whisper of God saying, return, return? Because you need to make a decision to arise and go to the Father in repentance. That's what we see here with the Son, don't we? We see him repent. All right, five things we've looked at. The question of freedom. What is freedom? Freedom is living out our purposes in Christ unhindered. 
by walking and living in the will of God for our lives. That is freedom. You won't find it outside of the Father's house. Number two, we looked at the presence versus the presence. Number three, nothing can compare. Everything else will run out. Number four, mercy whispers return. And number five, the return, repentance. But as I, as I aim to finish off in about seven minutes and 23 seconds, um, I want to just touch on the Father. We might expand on this next week a little bit. Um, but there's four things I want to touch on that we see in the Father. Number one, he runs to us. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That is so beautiful. As soon as the son made that decision and repented, what happened? He didn't have, I reckon he didn't have the strength to get the whole way there, but God said, I'm gonna pick you up and bring you back. That's what happens when we say to God, I need you. You know, you might be stuck in a situation and you're saying, Mark, I get what you're saying, but the reality is it's too hard for me to get out right now. I can't figure out how to get from here back to my father's house. And I want to say this, you don't have to. You just make the choice to arise. And guess what? By the Spirit of God, he will come and lift you up and embrace you and kiss you. He's just looking for your heart to say yes to him. He'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. And I love this. You know, this would have been quite shocking to see a man of this stature running. And, you know, you can imagine him grabbing his robe and running over. Like, what is this man doing? How undignified. There's that worship song, isn't there, about that reckless love of our father that just wants to grab us. That's the kind of father that we worship and that we love. And he says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does it remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 103. He embraced him. And in that moment, he forgave him. Forgiveness comes always as we repent. You don't have to earn forgiveness. Jesus did that for you on the cross. And that leads me to number two. We are always his. Verse 21, I love this. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, what happens afterwards? Does the father get into a big debate with the son? He just says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly. It's almost like he ignored him. Father, I'm really sorry. I can't be your son. And the father's like, come on, let's get a big celebration going for my son here. Why is this important? Listen, I want to uh, hopefully wisely just touch on a debate that has gone through centuries, which is can you lose your salvation? I want to say this, you can't lose your salvation. There's so many reasons, but this talks about why. You see, your sonship and your daughtership isn't because of your works, is it? It's because of what Jesus worked for you on the cross. Do we all agree with that? Right. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, right? It's a gift not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, if you lose your salvation because, you have, because of other works, what does that say? It means the only way I can retain my salvation is by working to be good. All of a sudden, you move out of a gospel of grace and into a gospel of works. Are you with me? Now, it might be that you fall away 
and you say, I'm not interested. And you might stay in that position until you get to heaven, but you're a new creation in Christ Jesus the moment you say yes to Jesus. And it says in the scriptures, we are sealed for the day of redemption. God doesn't remove that seal off you one moment. Well, they were good this week, so let's put it back on. And then next week, you've gone to the metaphorical pig's wheel. Let's just take that off you. You're not a son anymore, sorry. This is really important because I have spoken and ministered and pastored people that are in bondage to this because they move into a gospel of works because they think they can lose their salvation if they're not good enough. It ain't like that. And what I love about this is even though he left, he went away, he lived a reckless life, he did this and the other, the father said, you'll always be my son. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Number three, his riches towards us. Number verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate a banquet for his son. I'd like to invite the band up. God didn't say, really sorry, got nothing left. You took all the money and the eldest son, well, he's put it somewhere else as well. I've got nothing to give you. Listen, our father's resources are endless. His riches towards us are endless. We cannot outgive God. You know, he will always restore. It says in um, Joel that he restores the years the locusts have eaten. And for some of you, upon your return, God is going to restore the years the locusts have eaten for you. I believe that. More than I believe that, I feel led to proclaim that over you and declare that over you prophetically. That upon your return, God is going to restore you. That is the Father's heart. He didn't say to the son, right, okay, let's sit down. Before we have a party to celebrate, I'd like to just work out how much you owe me. He didn't need to. He doesn't need to. God doesn't with us. And lastly, number four about the father, his joy for us. For this, my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they, they began to celebrate. There was a big old party. You know, it says in Luke 15, 10, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Can I ask you a question this morning? Is there going to be a party at your place today? Is there going to be a party in the Father's house today because of your return to him? Can you just stand? Let us stand together.